We begin with another edition of Ask the Doctor with Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary. As always, Dr. Janney takes the time to answer coronavirus questions as sent in by you, the listener. Next, we head stateside for an update on the current situation surrounding the coronavirus. Jennifer Johnson, Washington reporter for Global News, brings us up to speed on the continuing crisis, which has now claimed the lives of over 330,000 Americans. Then we look at the effect the pandemic has had on our perception of time. We speak with a psychologist on how for some 2020 has flown by and how for others it may feel like the longest year in history. And finally, improving your financial fitness in 2021. We get some tips to help you get on the right track from author, speaker, and personal finance consultant, Leslie Scorgie. 812 on the morning news. Uh, since the start of the pandemic, we've been posing your COVID-19 questions to our expert an associate professor at the Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary, Dr. Craig Janney. Thanks again for joining us this morning, Dr. Janney. Good morning, Andrew. I appreciate you uh, getting to the questions with us. We have one segment, so we'll try to get to as many of them as possible. And here's one from Gail. Why are we not utilizing anyone with healthcare experience to administer the shots? Even veterinary and uh, veterinary techs can administer these. Uh, does it uh, have to be an RN? Can it be university and college students uh, who have uh, the education under their belt but not the certification under the sur- supervision of uh, the trained professionals like the RN? Why don't we use more people? I don't think right now we're, we're seeing a people crunch. Uh, we have to remember, at least with the vaccine, until yesterday, could only be administered at a couple centers because of the, the need for the ultra-cold storage. That's going to change dramatically now with the Moderna vaccine that can go out to places without that minus 80 freezer. So I think this is far more of an infrastructure and a vaccine supply limitation rather than not having enough skilled people to administer the vaccine. Okay, we've got another one involving the new variant we've heard about. I was wondering why uh, the uh, new cor- uh, if the new coronavirus strain is anticipated to increase infection rates, and does it last longer on surfaces or in the air? I haven't seen any evidence about lasting on the surfaces or the air, but it does, at least the circumstantial evidence suggests it does more easily infect people. That is, each person who gets this might infect more people more easily, but it's hard to prove. We're only basing that base on community numbers, and we can't directly test it, but things do look as though this is more infectious. The good news is not more severe disease, so it's not causing people to get sicker or more people to die, but if more people get the disease, we're going to see, unfortunately, more people in the hospital. Here's another one. Over the holiday weekend, it was stated that we had 2,100 new cases in 48 hours. How do all those folks get tested and the results get back so quickly? How is that possible? We, we've simply doubled down on, on the resources, on the staff, and people are working around the clock in Alberta. We have built robots that can process samples a little faster, and we have multiple labs testing, and we've asked these people to give up their holidays and to be in at all hours of the day to ensure we get our test results back. Dr. Janney, could we see pharmacies being used to dole out the vaccine as we move down the line like the pharmacies have been doing with the flu shots? We may. Again, we have to keep in mind that these are different vaccine formulations. So the the current Pfizer one cannot be administered at pharmacies. They need to have that ultra-cold storage. As we move forward with additional vaccines that are more stable, for example, could be stored at room temper in a regular refrigerator, we will see more broad vaccine distribution. But unfortunately, with the one uh, that we've been administering up to this point, we couldn't do it. We needed those minus 80 freezers.
Please ask the doc if uh, someone's taking antiviral drugs for HIV, do they help in keeping COVID at bay? They control the replication of HIV so that I'm undetectable and untransmittable. So would they do the same for COVID? Unfortunately not, and I've not seen any evidence to suggest that there is broad cross-protection, and that is because these viruses still use very different machinery, different proteins, and the drugs people take, for example, for HIV are, are targeting very specific proteins that belong to that virus, and the, unfortunately the COVID proteins are a little bit different, so the drugs are not cross-reactive. Here's another one. I'm still convinced I had COVID-19 weeks before it officially arrived. I got sick last New Year's Eve, had every symptom, sick for weeks. My doc said she'd heard uh, this from a lot of people. What is the thinking on this? So, no, there has been a lot of discussion about that, and we do know that we were looking for it, and we did back-check some samples in Canada, and we were unable to find it earlier than the announced dates. The one thing to remember with COVID is most of the symptoms are very, very similar to influenza, and in particular last year we had a strain of influenza that's a bit unusual in Alberta in that we had a lot of influenza uh, type B cases, which normally only targets kids, but for some reason we had a spike in adults last year, and that would maybe explain why people were feeling flu-like symptoms, but not quite the same as the average flu, and could make people think that they probably had COVID when we know it wasn't here in Alberta at that time. I think we have time for one more question. Uh, Dr. Jenny, my daughter is allergic to eggs and 25 other food items. And uh, her mother also has allergy triggers resulting in several EpiPen and has had ER visits. Can they get a COVID-19 vaccine? So the recommendation, at least for the Pfizer shot, is no. But the, the catch here is to have a conversation with your family doctor because with the new Moderna vaccine approved, I'm not sure what the restrictions are on that particular formulation yet. And we've just seen, for example, the United Kingdom uh, approved yet another vaccine this week that, that is uh, under consideration here in Canada as well. So there will be vaccine options, and by having options, we may be able to avoid those allergic reactions for the individual patient. So definitely open the conversation and see what options are available to you as we move forward. Good stuff. I think we'll have to leave it there for, for time, Dr. Janney. But thank you so much for, for joining us this year. We hope to carry over into 2021 if, if we can. But in the meantime, happy holidays and happy new year to you. Happy new year, Andrew. Take care. You as well. That is Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. 709 on the morning news. And yes, Jennifer Johnson with us, Global's Washington reporter. Uh, good morning to you, Jennifer. Things are here, there, and everywhere. Everybody's on holidays. I'm not sure if it's a, the same in the uh, USA <laughs> at this point. But what's interesting is, you know, it's a, it's a crazy time as far as schedules are concerned. Uh, a busy time, albeit different due to the pandemic. But the one consistency seems to be the, the number of cases in the U.S. And I was shocked to read an article uh, on CNN.com yesterday that one in a thousand people in the U.S. has died from the coronavirus. Uh, that's right, Andrew. And actually, 2020 is going to be the deadliest year in American history. And part of that is because we've lost, it'll probably go over 340,000 American deaths from COVID-19 this year. And one out of every 1,000 Americans is dying from this. It has surpassed heart disease and cancer is the number one cause of death in this country. And um, it, it, you know, it just doesn't seem to slow down. Quite the opposite. They're looking, the experts are saying that we'll probably hit 400,000 deaths by mid-January and that the worst is going to be, we thought the worst was going to be in the month of December, but the experts are saying the worst is actually going to be the month of January. And that's 
partly because of, there was so much travel over the Christmas holiday and the New Year's holiday. AAA, the American Automobile Association, estimating 85 million Americans either you know, flew or traveled by car to see loved ones and friends. And so just too many people moving. And the result is people are dying. And that's why you're putting uh, perhaps some, some even bigger numbers in January due to that lag of the travel? Right. It's always two to three weeks afterwards. And, you know, we, we've hit a peak number of hospitalizations. I believe that was yesterday. 121,000 Americans are in the hospital. I mean, I live in the Baltimore area. Johns Hopkins is out of ICU beds. There's We read every day what's going on in Southern California. There are no ICU beds. The morgues are strained. The ambulances have massive delays. There are people that are being brought into the hospitals. Uh, we reported yesterday um, that, you know, they were being put in chapels in some cases in, in California hospitals, uh, patients, because there's no beds. There's no room for these people. And then just yesterday, a 41-year-old congressman-elect, Luke Letlow from uh, Louisiana, was supposed to be sworn in to Congress, the new Congress, starting January 3rd. And he died 41 years old of COVID-19. So it's the stories every single day should be shocking to people. And yet there's so many Americans who just don't take precautions, keep traveling, keep moving around and keep living their lives as if everything is normal. There's nothing normal about this. What is reaction when when that new congressman at the age of only 41 dies of COVID-19? Does that, you know, kind of put the, the, the damper on some of the COVID deniers down there? I mean, I think people do pause and take a hard look at that. If you look at pictures of him and it's all over, you know, the Internet, you can look at him. He looks like a healthy young guy. He's got two young children. Like I said, he's 41 years old. He looks like a robust, healthy young man. And for him to die of COVID-19, I mean, he announced that he was that he was positive for it. I think it was around December 19th, then said he was going in the hospital and he just got sicker and sicker and sicker and died. But again, you know, there, there are states, particularly down in the South, where there are governors who have not put in stringent measures. There, there are not mask mandates. And so people, for the most part, are not you know, many people are not taking this seriously enough. But I think if you look at his picture and you and, you know, if your idea is the people are dying of this are the, you know, 88 year old grandmothers who are in a nursing home. And then you look at this young man, it should, you know, be a reason for a lot of people to pause and look at his face and see that this is a healthy young man with two young children and a wife. He was at everything ahead of him, about to be sworn into Congress in a week. And he's dead. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of stunning, particularly, yes, um, online when you see the pictures. This is a young man. Uh, Let's talk about uh, one of the new developments when it comes to coronavirus, and that's the coronavirus variant, as it's being called. Uh, First uh, from the U.K. We've had it here in Canada, I believe, in Australia, and the U.S. recorded its first uh, variant COVID-19 virus yesterday. Is that right? That's right. So this is a, a man in his 20s in Colorado who has tested positive for the COVID variant. Now, the governor of Colorado had called a press conference for this morning. He's pushed it back to noon uh, to give us more details about this young man. Again, he's in his 20s, a young guy. Uh, all we know is that he does not have a history of traveling and they do not know where he got it. So, again, you know, this is scary because while they say that the vaccine is effective with this variant. We just don't know enough at this point. So the variant has now uh, shown up in Colorado and likely will spread. 
But, um, you know, as I said, this is a young guy in his 20s, and that's that's the first person that the U.S. says, the U.S. health officials say, has gotten this variant. Let's talk about the, those vaccines. Uh, Pfizer first out the gate and uh, Moderna uh, hearing about the distributions through the U.S. And it's interesting because a, a girl I went to high school with now living in Utah posted on Facebook. Uh, she works in a, in a medical office. She was getting the vaccine yesterday. So it, it seems to be filtering on through. Uh, how is the rollout going? Has there been any, I guess you'd say, uh, uh, road bumps or is it going smoothly? Um, I would say there's been a lot of roadblocks, road bumps, if you will. They told us Operation Warp Speed, the officials there told us that there would be 20 million um, vaccines administered by the end of December. And so far, as of late yesterday, we were at 2.1 million. So the rollout has been very, very slow. And a number of reasons for that. The deliveries have been slow. Um, hospitals have been a little slower than expected in, in getting them to their workers. But I mean, I do know a number of people in this area who have gotten the vaccine. Um, and so I think it'll speed up. Joe Biden did announce yesterday that he would um, put forth the Defense Production Act to make this uh, go faster. That's rolling out the military, rolling out mobile clinics to try to speed up um, the vaccinations of millions of Americans. Because at this rate, you know, the projection was it would be many, many months before we could get to 70, 80 percent of the population, if not over a year. So he has definitely pledged to step it up. Yeah, when you talk about the rollout, um, is there any anticipated date when the general public will be eligible for the vaccine and not just, you know, healthcare workers, those on the front line and those that are vulnerable? Well, you know, when Operation Warp Speed first put out its timetable, they were saying probably April the general public could start getting the vaccinations. But, you know, honestly, if if you were asking me from what I'm seeing around here, I would say probably more like June um, and and that's providing that they can get, uh, you know, more people administering. And I mean, the problem is most of this is coming out of the pharmacies and the hospitals in terms of who's given out the shots. And there's not a lot of people who are just standing around doing nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, you need nurses to give the shot and they're busy. Yeah. So, you know, we, at this point, you've got to get military doctors, military nurses and other people, you know, as I said, rolling out and and giving administering the shot so and this has got to slow down i mean you've got to start coming around the corner Mm -hmm. having cases and hospitalizations start to drop off before you can really you know go gangbusters in terms of immunizing everybody you want to because you know there's there's a 1a tier which is the frontline workers nursing home residents then you get into 1b which is you know uh ambulance people uh, uh firefighters police officers teachers uh, residents over 75 and then you know from there and you know compromise people etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's you know we have a long ways to go very very long ways to go we need all hands on deck and all hands are busy right now for sure right uh thanks exactly. uh, thanks so much for your time jennifer and happy new year to you happy new year to you andrew thanks for having me you bet that's jennifer johnson global's washington reporter Six forty-two in the morning news did you feel like this year lasted forever yet still ticked by slowly Well, you're not crazy. In fact, studies show that amid lockdowns and new working routines, time has seemed to pass differently for the masses. Dr. Ruth Ogden, an assistant professor of experimental psychology at Liverpool's John Moores University in England, joins us now with more details. Good morning to you, doctor. Good morning. Thank you for taking the time with us. And it's an interesting concept because time 
is, you know, it's a quantity. We can't change it, but I guess the perception is what we're talking about here. Is that right? Yeah, so what we're talking about here is the fact that although we know time passes at a constant rate on the clock, so the hands are always moving at the same speed, for us as people, it passes at different rates depending on what we're doing and how we're feeling. So it really waxes and wanes. So give us an idea, like for example, give us an example if you can of somebody uh, who may have felt like this year was 10 years in 12 months. (laughs) So what we found in our study was that during the lockdown in the UK, people who experienced a slow lockdown, so time felt like it was really dragging by, these are people who tended to be more socially isolated, so they weren't satisfied with their social interaction. They were also older, they were less busy than younger people, um, and they were also more stressed. So it's that combination of those four factors which seem to really make the lockdown pass quite slowly. What about on the other side of the coin, those people who felt like 2020 went by in the blink of an eye? Well, so for those people, it tended to be the opposite. So we have younger people, particularly people under the age of 65, they're likely to feel like this is passing more quickly than normal. People who are happy with their social interactions, so people who feel satisfied with them, people who've managed to maintain a level of busyness, so they've got a good amount of tasks to keep them distracted throughout the day, but they're not too stressed by these tasks. What does this speak to you, uh, you know, about Dr. Ogden when it comes to you know, routine. They've been said for years that we're creatures of habit. Uh, is this a case of when we tinker with routine, we uh, will notice some changes? I really think that it is. So I think that what the lockdown has really told me or that the pandemic has really told me is that my life was really structured beforehand. I did the same things at the same time most days. And this really helped me to keep track of time. It's what I would call temporal markers. Like we all eat lunch roughly at the same time, um, Our weekends are very different to our weeks, and this is what helps us to keep track of the days of the week, but also the time within the week. Um, And I think that what the lockdown has done, it's just taken all that away from us. So we're not doing our commute. We're not necessarily getting up at the same time or going to bed at the same time. We've lost our regular temporal rhythm. Uh, and, And this has really contributed towards the distortions to time that we've felt. And this past year, I know that we're going to be flipping the calendar to 2021. I think some people might be thinking, well, you know, the pandemic will be behind us, but we know that we still need more progress with the vaccine rollouts and it's going to take some more time. But I'm wondering if uh, during post-pandemic, if some of these changes that we've experienced when it comes to time and, and our routines, um, if, if they're uh, going to continue for, for a lot of people, uh, you know, post-pandemic from a psychologist uh, perspective. I think that's a really good question, but it's really difficult to answer. And I think it's going to depend on what normal becomes. I know in the UK, there is so much talk about this is the end of the office. We're all going to be working from home much more. We've all got so much more flexibility in the way that we work. And it's possible that this is really going to influence our experience of time in the long run particularly how we spend our time. If we can try and reduce those things that we don't enjoy, like the commute, um, like going to the shops, then maybe we'll be able to gain more control and have an experience of time which is more, more how we want it to be. 
But what's also interesting about this, uh, Dr. Ogden, is we all have uh, different experiences with time. Uh, some of the people, you know, it has been that lag year. Some have gone by in the blink of an eye. But this is perhaps one of the few times besides world wars and maybe the 1918 Spanish flu that the whole world is going through something similar at the same time. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is that this is reflected in people's experience of time. So I've studied this in the UK, I've studied it in Argentina, and other researchers have studied it in France and in Italy. And we're seeing exactly the same patterns across all these different areas. So widespread distortion to the passage of time and the passage of time really being predicted or affected by things like age, emotional state. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, it's not something that's just unique to the UK. Everybody's experiencing it as a result of this huge change um, in, our, in our daily lives. We're in this together, but we have different experiences. I've learned something this morning. Thank Quite. you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Dr. Ogden. Goodbye. Happy New Year. That is Dr. Ruth Ogden, an assistant professor of experimental psychology at Liverpool John Moores University in England. 609 on the morning news. It will no doubt be on many New Year's resolution lists, improving your personal or household financial outlook for 2021. However, like many goals, it may be daunting at the beginning. With some tips and suggestions on trying to improve your financial fitness in the new year, we are joined by Leslie Scorgi, author, speaker, and personal finance consultant, Good morning to you, Leslie. Good morning. Thanks for having me this morning. Well, thank you for taking the time. So uh, let's begin at the beginning. This may be a daunting topic for some. So where do we even start? Well, my suggestion is that you do break it down into small attainable goals because when you look at your overall financial picture, it can feel daunting. And so we know that the best um, money moves usually start small. So one of the things that I can suggest right off the bat is that you do some automations with your day-to-day banking. And so this is super easy. One of the things that you can do is automate all of your bill payments and automate some savings. So the pandemic definitely proved that we all need a little bit more in savings. And one thing that you can do is just like make sure that on the day that you're receiving money, doesn't even matter if it's the government benefits or if it's from a paycheck, that you allocate a certain portion towards some emergency savings. So that if in the future you need it, you've got that little cushion. And that actually should start to reduce a little bit of um, financial stress and give you some peace of mind. That, you know, goes back to, you know, the, the old saying, which is pay yourself first. And I know everybody's situation is different, Leslie, but is there a percentage or an amount uh, ideally? And I say ideally also because for some people it, it might not be a realistic possibility at this particular time. But once we get things going, is there a percentage uh, or a portion we should be setting aside? There sure is. Um, we always recommend that you set aside anywhere between 3 and 5% of your take home pay. So that's money that's deposited after taxes. And actually, here's a good tip. On our website, mevest.ca, at the blog page, we have a free downloadable budget tool. 
And this is my second tip. If you've never budgeted before, why don't you take a stab at it? It's going to make you financially stronger, but more important, it will make you more aware of what's going to to go through your accounts during 2021. Um, And on that budget template, we actually have recommendations for how much should go into each category. So I just mentioned three to 5% allocated to savings. But on that template, you'll also see some suggestions for allocations for things like your personal wellness and fitness. You'll see allocation suggestions for your retirement savings and for groceries and your housing costs and so much more. So, you know, I think the pandemic forced a lot of people to to become a budgeter. But if you weren't one of those, now is the perfect time to, to get on it. It'll really help. You mentioned your blog, mevest.ca. There's a good resource there. But, you know, additionally, there's all sorts of apps these days. And I'm hearing about certain bank accounts that will, for example, when you make a purchase on a debit machine, it will round up. So if it's $7.16, it'll make it $8, but take that $0.84 and put in your account. So the technology is vastly improved in the past 10, 15, 20 years, and we can use it to our advantage, can't we? Absolutely. And actually, it should be used to your advantage because when you use technology, like it's a lot of it's free, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this is just, you know, a call to your bank, but technology can help you automate your bills, automate your savings, automate your child's RESP contribution. And also, it can allow you to do that roundup. Here's another tip. Right now, we none of us have any real clear projection on travel. And if you're like me, you were a travel points collector uh-huh. until recently. Well, here's a tip. I'd recommend for at least the next year that everybody move on over to a cashback credit card because we could all use the money right now. And nobody has any line of sight onto in into like when travel's going to open up. So my opinion on this is like if you are spending money on day-to-day expenses that you're getting rewarded for it. and cash is king at the moment. Yeah, it's very interesting because yes, we don't even know what the future of travel holds or some of these airlines or companies. So yeah, get that cash in your pocket. What a great tip there. I'm wondering if it's really tough in your world right now, Leslie, because not only is it pandemic time, which has been a real kick in the pants for, for many, many Canadians, but also during the holiday season, yeah, it's good to set these goals, but it's also a time perhaps where the the well has run dry and it might be a little more discouraging this time of the year because those credit card bills have uh, really stacked up. That's right. The third week of January is when we actually see um, mental health drop. And it happens to be the same week that most people's holiday spending on their credit cards, that payment is due. And what I want to suggest today is that If you want a more positive money mindset, you want some more savings, you should try a detox from your spending. So I've been running spending detoxes every January for years. I think you and I have even talked about this before. We've covered this. Um, I'm glad you're continuing it. Yeah, and it is powerful and effective. And what it is, is it's turning the tasks off of your spending for up to seven days, seven, and if you want to go further, go forward. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to go to 30 days, good for you. 
But the idea here is that you just turn the caps off your spending for at least a week and you only spend on essential items. Like this isn't a payment holiday from your mortgage payment. (laughs) You still have to pay that. But anything that's non-essential, so essentials are like food, medicine, baby supplies, your housing, that's in. Anything else is out. And you save the difference. So why a spending detox works super well is it is the fastest way to feel financially empowered. And it's because it actually begins to start remapping part of your brain, the part that you access for spending. And it's a part where, you know, if you've been feeling like a little bit on autopilot and a little disassociated from, you know, your spending or your finances, the act of detoxing for seven days is going to bring a very healthy consciousness to your 2021 money mindset. And we know of all the things, everything that you could work on in 2021 when it comes to your money, the number one best thing for you to focus on is your money mindset. So that's the number one thing. You're almost like our uh, personal uh, fitness financial consultant uh, when it comes to the detox as well. So where can we get more info on this detox, Leslie? So actually, um, we're going to be running a full-scale challenge, and and you can follow my business page at Money. So the challenge that we're kicking off is in January, January 11th, and we're actually going to be hosting up to 2,000 people to do a very well-coordinated spending detox with our group. So we are already half full. <laughs> you will see, um, you will see uh, uh, some posts on at me, that's money on Facebook uh-huh. uh, today. And you definitely want to secure your seat. We will lead you through this challenge. And guess what? You'll come out the other end um, with a pile of savings and a better money mindset and the challenge is free. So we are offering this for free. Love the price. And uh, thank you so much again, mevest.ca at Leslie Scorgi on the social media. Thank you so much, Leslie. Thanks, Andrew. Happy holidays. You as well. That's Leslie Scorgi, author, speaker, and personal finance consultant.